Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. Yeah, and I'm Connor Oaks. And we're coming up on the 75th anniversary, Connor, of the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima in 1945. We're not going to get into it deeply this this episode, unless you particularly want to. Sure. But I thought we would as we get a little closer to the actual anniversary, August 6th. It's always odd to come up on anniversaries that are hard to know whether to... Well, it's pretty easy to say we shouldn't be celebrating. Well, that's just that, it. You don't use the word celebrate, and also you don't say happy. You know, happy Hiroshima <laughs> right. uh, anniversary. Well, they say happy VE Day, right? That you was know, a thing. It, it's funny you mentioned that because sometimes, uh, uh, many times over the years, I have said Happy Memorial Day, for example, right, and then yeah. I realize, oh my gosh. We're remembering people who fought and died right, for yeah, us. So yeah. should I be saying happy? Well, we're celebrating their service. What about happy Fourth of July? What right. about all the revolutionary patriots who fought and died? Well, yeah, to keep us free, it as is Lee a Greenwood than, puts it. It is a little different than Memorial Day. Memorial Day, we're literally commemorating people who have died. Yeah, Veterans. July Fourth, we're commemorating the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Right. I mean, that's you have a good point. So I guess I don't feel too nobody bad died. But having said happy Fourth of they July did. dozens of times. In my life, a lot of them died later, but not actually all of them died later, yeah, to be technically correct. True. So, that's we're going to get into that in a week or so when we get a little closer to the 75th anniversary. And I was inspired to think about it and talk about it because Chris Wallace, the Fox News guy, has an excellent book out. Uh, called Countdown 1945, I think that's the title, and basically it's a it's a timeline from the, the day Harry Truman took over when they said, <laughs> "Mr. President, you're Mr. President, FDR is dead," to the dropping of the bomb. So it was like four months, right? Uh, and uh, Chris Wallace and his co-author stuff a lot of fascinating. Uh, what an onboarding period in there! Oh my goodness, yeah, talk about on the job training because he literally didn't know about the Manhattan Project. They didn't have the Veep looped in. He had about three or four face to face meetings with FDR during the time he was vice president, which was only... That's I it? Think, I think back then, of course, the inaugurations were not in January, but they were in March. Okay. So uh, November 1944, uh, the, the election happens. Uh, March would have been the inauguration. And so it's the interregnum period when he's the VP elect. But yeah, the, the poor guy really had to uh, get up to speed quite quickly. So we want to talk about uh, three big uh, pressing questions uh, this week. Number one, did Trader Joe's wimp out? It's funny. We'll talk about the letters to the editor of the LA Times. They give a very clear answer as to whether Trader Joe's did the right thing in uh, canceling the culture of uh, Trader Ming's and Trader Jose and so on. Uh, we're going to ask, uh, why don't we just legalize drugs if you want criminal justice reform and you want to uh, send folks home? Uh, w- wouldn't that be a, a good, sensible step to actually implement the whole victimless crime idea? And finally, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to have a thought experiment. What if Justice Ginsburg were to say next week, you know, this has been fun, but I, I really need to take care of my health. I'm, I'm I want to spend more time at the beach. Yeah. And I'm at gonna... the gym. And at the mall. That's right. She's famous for that uh, documentary workout. Anyway, what, what might happen in the next several months? We know Mitch McConnell would be sorely tempted to- He would put uh, his pedal to the metal. I think so. 
Uh, before we get to Trader Joe's, I have to say Lucky Logan is a, a movie you ought to put Logan on Lucky. list. Uh, is it Logan Lucky? Yeah. Okay, so so good. That's even better. Logan Lucky, Channing Tatum, Daniel Craig. Uh, I've forgotten. Do, ben Affleck? Uh, perhaps. Uh, I don't know if Ben Affleck was in that one. He was in Extract with Jason Bateman. Oh, that's the one we saw. Right. Uh, you were a fan of Logan Lucky, right? Oh, great. Yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah, ter- terrific. So that's our, our pick for the week. So did Trader Joe's wimp out is the question. And of course, um, most everybody's heard about the news story. Trader Joe's very popular chain. I don't know how many hundreds of Outlets have got around the country, billions uh, in sales. And apparently, uh, like a 17-year-old girl in high school decided that the fact Trader Joe's has Trader Ming's with Asian food and Trader Jose, Spanish, Trader Mexican Jacques. food. Trader Jacques has French food. Doggone it, this is racially stereotyped. Their vitamin people. line is called Trader Darwin's. Really? Yeah. Okay, so that's that's controversial right there. Is it? Because a lot of folks just aren't buying that whole evolution. Thing. Ah, I see, I see. Anyway, so uh, Trader Jacques is now out because this online petition that the 17-year-old high school senior, talk about a science project, yeah, uh, she got going and she said, this is racist. And I don't know, I, I, think, uh, I think this is this culturally specific branding uh, being banned at Trader Giotto for Italian products. The idea was that it it belies a narrative of exoticism that perpetuates harmful stereotypes. Really? Does it really perpetuate harmful stereotypes? So you're kind of a progressive guy, Connor. Uh, what What's your take? Yeah, um, I think we're going to get into it when we talk about the letters to the editor a little bit. But I would say that most people would be able to rank the crises facing America. And you can put them in, if if not a strict ranking, mm-hmm. you can put them sort of in the high priority, medium priority, low priority right. crises. The low, mild, moderate, and severe. Yeah, mild, moderate, severe. The the mild crisis, the low priority crisis would be um, Connor's uh, single and he needs a girlfriend. The the country <laughs> needs to unite behind that banner and really solve this problem that's facing America. Right. Mild severity. Important, very important, but mild in severity. And then there's the moderate category. And I would place place the Trader Joe's crisis, air quotes over here, crisis in the moderate mm. category. And then we would say that there are other Perhaps things. Perhaps barely into that category. Maybe just a bit too Barely, barely climbed in. And then we place the other crisis that we're facing, like police brutality and unfair, you know, racial disparities. Well, Donna, what in about climate change? You're forgetting gap, climate change. Climate change, okay. COVID. All these are in the high or extreme uh, uh, crisis uh, category. Yeah, but I'm, why would it even be in the moderate? I mean, what's wrong with advertising branding? I mean, you can't show a picture of a British kid enjoying fish and chips or a. Uh, you can't show a kid from Chicago enjoying deep dish Chicago pizza or an Italian kid enjoying a big heaping bowl of gnocchi. Why is that racially stereotyping? Why is that harmful? Yeah, I mean, look, it's not really inherently harmful to label if you have Southern cooking and you have a, a Southern mascot, if you have uh Asian well, and Jemima and Uncle Ben's, of course, are well, history now. They're that, gone. Yeah, they're gone. But that's because they came from. They were. That's kind of. It's kind of related, right? Because the idea is, it's a problem if it's fake, right? Mm-hmm. If, it, like, it's so bald on its face and obvious. You don't that think Chef Boyardee is a real Italian chef? Tra- that Trader I think he Joe, was. you know, is is not actually. It's you know. 
started in in like what Alhambra, California, or something mm-hmm. is the origin of Trader Joe's. Very local so. to us here. Right. Um, it, it's it's not an an Asian food brand. They're just a brand that happens to make foods of all types. Well, so it's a form of cultural appropriation, is that's what not, you're saying. I don't think that's the issue. Or cultural think, theft. I don't think it's an appropriation or theft. I think it's just like sort of. It's kind of a joke, right? Like Trader Jose's. Yeah, exactly. There's kind of a joke. Tongue in cheek, yeah. yeah. But, but high school senior Briones Bedell uh, did not think it was funny, and she, she won. She Her pe- online petition garnered 3,000 signatures. I'm not sure why Trader Joe's didn't just say, oh, we appreciate your input, and we, we kind of get where you're coming from, but we don't think this is wrong. But a lot of people like it, and you alluded, uh, Connor, to the LA Times uh, letters to the editor deal that we, we came across in this morning's Sunday Times, uh, on uh, July 26 here. Uh, the editor who handles letters to the editor announced that there were 70 letters by LA Times writers that tumbled through the transom talking about the Trader Joe's controversy. Every single one thought it was silly to get rid of Trader Jose and so on. Yeah. I'm thinking, LA Times is a little bit left of center, bet. and they've got a, a fan base that's probably a little bit left of center for every single one of the 70 folks who took the time to write a letter to be against this change. That was kind of shocking That, to me. to me, is encouraging. Now, I I find it encouraging because it means that people are able to sort of prioritize it, that the readers of the L.A. Times and the people who are looking at this petition for Trader Joe's can say that nobody's too up in arms about this when there are other more bigger, more bigger, other bigger fish. Big, bigly? Yeah, more bigly. Uh, the bigliest, the, uh, the embiggens, all of us uh, to have these other crises to solve that are a little bit more important. At the same time, by the same token, I still put it in the category of you probably shouldn't do this. This is not actually, I don't think, a good attempt at lighthearted humor to label your stuff Trader Jose's just and change the name of it. I mean, it doesn't. Well, Let's see if this mischievous high school senior perhaps is uh, symptomatic of a, of a larger problem sure. we have in the world. And, and I, I want to get into a related issue, mm. and, and that is the use of the phrase Achilles heel. Everybody knows where the Achilles heel is. Yes. It's down there, very, very Greek myth very about Achilles who was invulnerable, except when where he was held when he yeah. was dipped in the invulnerability cauldron or whatever yeah. uh, by his heel. Yeah, and then there's also the anatomical expression, the Adam's apple. That all right. All the guys have the Adam's apple. Well, these phrases apparently are offensive to some physicians down in Australia. They mm. want to ban these terms. They call them misogynistic. Dr. Kristen Small, Queensland specialist, she's obstetrician, gynecologist. She says, we got to phase these terms out. She says, I think we have a personal choice to decolonize our language. Mm, and sure. these historical fa- terms will fade out. And this was reported in an Australian newspaper. Must have been a slow news day for so, them to push that. First of I mean, all, what really? Is, what is Adam's the, apple and Achilles heel? Do we know an anatomical term for Adam's apple that, that doesn't use the word Adam's, but doesn't have put a male name on it? Well, I, I you get could it, just like, make up something. Chunk of cartilage right, in, you could. in the neck area, the neckle yeah. area of people who are temporary. Temporarily male. I'm sure that would be politically correct. I'm sure, there, it? I'm sure there are five different, you know, anatomical names for anatomical names for it that we don't know, and all of them, I'm sure, are, are, are uh, totally acceptable and non-gendered. But this is a, a it's a something that you can think about because if uh, you say a trans uh, a woman um, has, you know, an Adam's apple, it sucks to have that person 
who is a woman say, well, I've got an Adam's apple, mm-hmm. you know? But is now, the solution to get rid of, really, do we care about that word? I mean, aren't there bigger issues in terms again, of discrimination against again, trans people? Again, there are bigger issues, of course, but this is one uh, of, of many, you know, bricks in the wall of, uh, you know, of the bigger problem. And you, you disassemble a wall by taking apart brick by brick, right? You don't have to only go after the biggest bricks in the wall. You can take out lots of small ones and then it'll eventually fall. The Achilles heel one, I get that Achilles was male in the story, but— And he was white. He was patriarchal. I don't think he was white. I mean, he was ancient Greek, so he was probably pretty brown. I mean, Mediterranean brown, right? Like he's, I don't know, Middle Eastern almost, North Africa, like, I don't know, the whole area. anybody's guess. Who knows? We don't have a lot of color photographs. But regardless, (laughs) he— I don't think there's anything inherently male about the Achilles story or identification of the that's not a masculine or feminine trait to have in an ankle. That one seems silly to me. I don't oh, I don't no. even put that one in the moderate crisis. No, Connor, that's in no. The, that's in the Connor needs a girlfriend severity of I, crisis. You're wrong. I've been won over. I think this we've got to decolonize okay. our language. Okay. Thank the, you. Uh, when we come back, we are going to talk about uh, instead of defunding cops and abolishing prisons or in addition to How about just no more drug war instead? Uh, Get rid of the whole Nancy Reagan Mm. approach. By the way, folks, if you're loving our show, which I'm sure you are because you're listening, uh, please check out uh, our our, uh, podcast review and rating system on whatever podcast platform you use, Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you get us. We're available on all these platforms. And if you leave us a review um, or a you know, five-star review or a little, a little uh, write a little uh, comment, uh, it helps a lot. It really does. So if you like our show, please help us out. And we'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So John Stossel, Connor, is... Uh, My favorite guy in the world. He's libertarian and used to be a big reporter on ABC. I don't think uh, he's been with the network for a while, but he still writes a lot and uh, makes just as much sense as he always has done. Uh, no argument there. It's funny, he, he started out as a consumer reporter with sort of the strong bias in, in, against the big companies that are injuring people and in favor of consumers. And I don't know if he had libertarian tendencies. Discovered or, where his bread was buttered. Yeah, just developed this attitude. But I mean, he is absolutely full bore. And one manifestation of his libertarianism is, doggone it, let's get rid of this drug war. Yeah. And he's pointing out uh, in his recent writings, our government has spent trillions trying to stop drug use, and it has not worked. Yep. Right? And more people now are using drugs than before the war began. And as he likes to point out, what drug prohibition did do, exactly, we've got Breaking Bad calling here, uh, is what alcohol prohibition did 100 years ago. Right. It just increases conflict between the police and citizens. Yep. Uh, is you know you're you're not a libertarian the way I am Connor but I think we, we kind of see eye to eye yeah on, liberals on liberals and leftists and libertarians are, are very frequently on the same side of this issue but it's not really it, it, it's it's a different justification as you might expect for coming at this uh, this this uh, same conclusion the issue is not really that well, the government just shouldn't have the right to, to tell us what to do in our own personal lives, and freedom is inherently good and valuable, and the more freedom we have, the better the country will be. And these are the sort of libertarian angle that you use to come at this. But the liberal would come at it and say something more like, well, we look at the, the effects of it, the, the outcomes of it, and the outcomes of the drug, drug war are not just not just the ridiculous bill that libertarians are concerned with because they don't like paying taxes. It, it's the outcome that that— a victimless crime like 
uh, drug abuse uh, that is better qualified or classified as uh, and as an addiction or disease uh, than it is a crime um, leads to over policing and over authority. Uh, being granted to law enforcement, who then use that uh, authority to amplify their discriminatory tendencies and biases and harm people who are uh, historically disadvantaged groups, because that's just the manifestation of the systemic racism in our society. So why are we giving cops carte blanche to pull people over and, you know, use dogs to, to, to sniff their cars and find out if there's some objectionable object <laughs> right. inside? If that objectionable object inside is basically just evidence of that person having a disease. I mean, it, addiction is a terrible thing and it hurts people, but you can't stop addiction by throwing people in prison. We've discovered that over the right. last hundred years of uh, you know, ramped up uh, drug war rhetoric from, you know, William Hurst using his yellow journalism and political influence to 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 you know, vilify hemp because he wanted to not didn't want to have to compete against hemp farming um, because he had you know alternate fibers. So he he indicated that these jazz cigarettes were just terrible, uh, terrible, mm -hmm. corrupting influence. And he figured out that it was easy to latch on to people's racial biases uh, and to amplify that and make it even worse. And at the drug war, you know, went only upwards from there. It's not like our spending on drug uh, DEA and, and local law enforcement uh, elimination of drugs it's not like the spending goes down. It's only going up. So you're on the same wavelength with John Stossel. Now, yeah. I want to quote a, a little bit from his recent article. And, and I ask after I do it, I'm going to ask you what's special about the quote that I just okay. gave. Okay, it'll okay. be a little quiz for you. So here's what John Stossel says. It was says. wrong. It, the quote was wrong. That's why it was special. <laughs> he says, because drug sales are That's illegal, wrong. profits from selling drugs are huge. Since sellers can't rely on law enforcement to protect their property, they buy guns and form gangs. Cigarettes harm people, too, but there are no violent cigarette gangs, no cigarette shootings, even though nicotine is more addictive than heroin. But what about the opioid epidemic? Lots of Americans die from overdoses. Neuroscientist Carl Hart says the drug war is to blame for that, too. Yes, opioids are legal, but their sale is tightly restricted. All right. What was special about that uh, mm. quote I just read? I'll know. tell you, it Please. was the world's best impression of John Stossel. <laughs> you didn't notice that I sounded exactly yeah, like yeah, John actually, Stossel? I haven't heard I've him in years. I've got a nightclub act I'm working up. Yeah. Going to start, you know, downtown Vegas, not on the Strip. I think you might have, a, your material might be a little specific uh, to this audience, <laughs> to people who, uh, like I do, remember John Stossel as an ABC consumer uh, his reporter. His blood relatives are the only people I think it would be Ten years ago. Well, he's on Fox all the time, so probably you get the Fox him. News audience. So uh, in, in Portugal, uh, they tried decriminalizing all drug use, and it is a a huge success. So instead of punishing drug users, they offer medical help. The deaths from overdoses have dropped sharply. And three or four years ago, Portugal had only four deaths per million people. Want to guess how many America had? United States had 217 drug deaths per million people. Jeez. Yeah, so... That's I, incredible. I mean, with that kind of track record, I really don't know why we don't sign up. Well, it's pretty simple. It's easy and effective to, as a politician, rabble-rouse around f the fear of criminals. Yeah, but what about legalizing marijuana? That's made huge inroads. I mean, other than Absolutely. the Deep South, yes. it's basically spread uh, like wildfire throughout the United States. I couldn't give you the exact count of how many states, but there are many states where it is now legal. Uh, of course, uh, on a federal level, it's not, um, which creates terrible, terrible problems for people trying to work in that industry. They can't use banks that are, have 
FDIC insurance. And so they're Mm -hmm. cash businesses. And as a result of being a cash business, they're robbed all the time. And it's it's horrible. And, you know, these companies live in fear of having their assets seized by feds. But there's so there's more work to be done. But you're right. It's been a great success story. And it's not like the society's falling apart at the seams as a result of drugs everywhere. And Pete Buttigieg actually came out and said, let's legalize all drugs. So methamphetamines, heroin, the whole thing. And I, I think what he was saying is usage. If anybody wants to use these things, they should not wind up incarcerated. Yeah. I don't think he was coming out and saying people who manufacture, sell, distribute. Right. The uh, real problem, though, is if he's ever going to you know, get on you know, in the Senate or the House and co- co-sponsor a bill and then sign the bill, he'd have to actually- Has to do a better job as mayor before he- He'd actually, actually have to sign the bill with his name and- Nobody can spell his name, including Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> That's so true. There's just no way that he's actually going to, you know, make headway. The poor guy has a major problem in there. We're going to take one more pause, and when we come back, a thought experiment. What if Justice Ginsburg of the U.S. Supreme Court had to resign because of bad health? Would there be a major kerfuffle in America? That's all we need. Is you an, bet. Another major kerfuffle. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. We're back with Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. Yeah, I'm Connor Oaks. So the United States Supreme Court, Connor, um, they're on vacation. They're enjoying... Well, sort of. They still had a decision that came out yesterday. Yeah, you mentioned that, and I, I hadn't followed that. What? Because they're not sitting, they're not announcing decisions that they heard oral argument on a few months ago, which is what they always do yeah, at the very calendar. tail end of June. So right. what do they do just the so other So they're day? still all around and available to take, you know, emergency or semi-emergency type petitions and, and handle so they're, issues. They're that, like first responders. Yeah, sort of. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sure they have all have EMT training because um, <laughs> they're all 150 years old. Um, so they need it for well, each collectively other. collectively they Collectively, are. yeah. Well, collectively probably 600 years old. Uh, so the, it's probably not a bad guess. So uh, this <laughs> opinion was kind of a retread of an opinion that happened back at the end of May when a California church said, hey, you're treating us churches, we churches, differently than you would treat a a non-religious gathering of people. California put a cap where it said uh, a maximum of 100 worshipers can can join up and and, and be in one room at the same time, or uh, a maximum of 25% of the max capacity of the cathedral or or gathering place or whatever, whichever is lower. Now, 100 people is, I mean, uh, 400-person church is is ginormous, and they could only have 100. If you have a 50-person church, then you can only have, what, 12 and a half people. Don't chop any people in half to get that last one, but, you know. Maybe somebody's pregnant. Yeah, there we are. Perfect. Good good example. So this uh, Nevada case that came out this week was a kind of a retread of that because John Roberts 5 to 4 made the, you know, the, the decision back in that California case where he wrote a concurring opinion, concurring with the, the liberals, um, and he said, look, we're treating this religious organization uh, differently than a commercial organization because there are distinguishing factors between uh, uh, commercial and religious gatherings. If you go into a store, uh, you don't stick around for a really, really long time. You're kind of in and out. Uh, you, you don't get together and sing the way you you know sing in a church service, potentially. And so religious gatherings are, are, are substantively different than commercial gatherings, and it's okay to treat them differently. This second opinion uh, that he just issued yesterday, uh, that the court just issued actually Friday, it 
went the same direction with a Nevada church that had a 50-person hard cap. Hmm. 50 people had a hard, uh, a maximum of 50 uh, worshipers at a time. Right. The wrinkle being that, of course, because it's Nevada, uh, the uh, l- lawyers for the church and the four conservatives who dissented and were unhappy with this decision uh, on the court— said, you're treating, uh, as Gorsuch wrote in his uh, dissent, you're treating uh, Caesar's palace differently than you're treating Calvary Chapel because gambling and casinos have different rules and they don't have a hard cap of 50 people on them. So they said, well, this powerful gaming lobby gets, of course, to do whatever it wants. It gets special tailor-made rules that allow casinos to open as long as they follow certain, you know, uh, methods and and safety precautions, whatever those may be. Whereas churches just have a blanket rule that says... No, church is over 50 people done. That's it, period. So that's unfair, they said. The free exercise, uh, you know, clause of the First Amendment, you know, you need to be able to gather uh, in order to practice your religion. And and so this is, uh, uh, this is wrong. Now, uh, Roberts, again, joined with the reasonable—sorry, the liberals uh, in this case and said, no, you can't be, uh, you know, freeing yourselves of Nevada's state rules regulating churches because churches have special, you know— Special qualities. Oh, it's well, an, Roberts never actually wrote that. He didn't write an opinion that went with this. He just didn't explain himself, which basically means he's harkening back to his last right. opinion. But the problem with that is the the everybody's read that last opinion, and of course the the lawyers for the church raised pretty good arguments. Uh, not, not actually dispositive. I think they should lose. We'll get to that in just a second as to why. But but they raised pretty good arguments where they said, look. You, in your last, uh, in your California case, specifically said that churches are different than supermarkets and gyms Mm -hmm. where, you know, you don't, you don't stay that long and you do this and you do that. And so we can treat them differently. But casinos, people stay in casinos for hours and hours, pull in the slot machine or whatever. That's just like hanging out and sitting in church. And John Roberts didn't even try to engage. He just didn't even write an opinion. He just said, the liberals are right. We're going to allow Nevada to regulate churches specifically in their own specific way. Well, this is an example of how politics can sort of intrude on what should be just a, a technical legal issue in terms of whether churches or casinos or whoever should be allowed to operate under the law and under the nature of the public health emergency. The uh, secular folks are getting an advantage and the religious people are being discriminated against. That sense bubbles up and it's a very strong political view among many Americans. Mm -hmm. And Governor Newsom, liberal Democrat of uh, Governor of California, he is sensitive to that political angle because even though he was tempted to shut down churches and for a while he did, he then realized this is going to come back to bite me. Yeah. And even though he may well have thought this is the way to, to go, this is very dangerous for these folks to, to worship communally like this, he said, okay, we're going to allow the churches to open. But doggone it, no singing. You can't belt out those hymns. Right. Because we know from studies, we talked about it a couple Just of episodes sprays ago. sprays viral. Yeah, when, those, when you're yelling or singing, boy, those droplets, they hang in the air for a long time. Dear listener, I'll tell you, this room is infected. <laughs> we are, there is a lot of yelling going on in this room. Yeah, the, the spittle spit is flying. Yeah. So, okay, there's there's that uh, act by the Supreme Court recently. The, the thing I was hoping to get into just to, sort of as a thought experiment is, what if Justice Ginsburg or one of the other uh, liberal mem- members of the liberal bloc in the U.S. Supreme Court uh, quit over the next few months? Of course, there's been a lot of publicity about her serious health issues. Right. 
And so what would happen now? Well, to, Mitch McConnell has indicated back, he will try to replace oh, yeah, absolutely. the justice. In spite of the fact yeah. that earlier he said, oh, we can't have Merrick Garland in the last year of Obama's term because, doggone it, the American public should be entitled to pick their president and have that new president appoint a justice. So uh, do you have a good uh, handle on the rationale by Mitch McConnell to explain to the American public that he's not being inconsistent and hypocritical and saying, I would replace Ginsburg if she retired tomorrow? Look, McConnell will come up with something, right? He would come up with some argument uh, to say that uh, this situation is different than that situation. But when it comes down to it, his base does not care. His base will seize on literally any argument the way many liberals would seize on literally any argument to protect that Supreme Court seat. Now, do I think the Republicans are worse offenders in that sense that they will latch on to any argument in order to support you know, uh, uh, the, the the wrong outcome, uh, wh- whatever the outcome is, if it's the wrong one, they'll latch on because that's what's politically expedient. Yeah, I think the GOP does it uh, more and worse than the Democrats. But look, this is a Supreme Court seat. When, when people say, you know, we need to come up with an argument, you can come up with an argument. There's not going to be 100 percent nonsense wrong. It's just going to be 90 percent nonsense wrong or 80 percent nonsense wrong. Mitch McConnell's going to say, well, you know what? In in uh, Barack Obama's second term, he'd already, you know, lost the House and, and uh, uh, or rather lost the Senate back, and he didn't have a strong mandate from the American people uh, anymore. People had lost confidence because he'd lost uh, the, the legislature. It was clear and obvious that the American people didn't think that he was the president to pick any any subsequent Supreme Court seat. Uh, but here, Trump has not lost the Senate. Trump is in his first term. He's a powerful president. He's mm-hmm. not a lame duck. It's, it's, it, it is totally different, and he still is carrying that, that flag, the battle flag of the mandate that he rode in on with his uh, loss in the general election, uh, but but ignore that, ignore that, and and the American people want Republicans, or rather Republican appointees, on the bench. Now you can come up with that argument. Is it nonsense? Yeah. Did I just make it up? Yeah. Is it is it dumb and does it insult the intelligence of the listener? Yeah. Well, Mitch McConnell say it anyway. Well, let's yeah. talk. We do have some clues as to what McConnell is going to say, and let, let's try to sort it out because it's it's a little little bit uh, difficult uh, to comprehend. Back in 2016, four years ago, uh, when uh, Trump was running, but Obama was president, um, Obama holds the White House and the Republicans hold a controlled the Senate. And so the government was divided. Um, currently, the Republicans control both the White House and the United States Senate. The distinction between the situation in 2016, where the Democrats have the White House and the Republicans have the Senate. And and today's deal, that is McConnell's rationale. And it's a little unclear to me as to why the fact that the government is divided, one party in the White House and the other party running the Senate, would have anything to do with whether or not it's okay to replace a justice who is leaving in a presidential election year. You can make these arguments either way, and politicians and lawyers, as lawyers we know, they do. You can make a pretty convincing argument both ways, but that doesn't mean that both ways are correct, especially in a situation where only one side can be. But you can be pretty convincing. You can say that there's this concept of what the American people want, and that the legislature control of the government and the different branches of the government is an expression of what the people want. And the that you can say that the 
judges or justices being put on the Supreme Court should reflect what the people want. And because government uh, representation is a proxy for what the people want, let's look at that and say, well, it's divided. And therefore, uh, the situation uh, is different. We we have to wait until the presidential election uh, to know what people want because they've lost faith in Obama. He so, can make that argument. It's not a good argument. You can easily go turn around and make the other argument. You, you could just say, well, because we have divided government— that means that the legislature has more uh, more power and better ability to actually vet a candidate during their confirmation hearings. You've got divided, you know, Republican and, and Democratic power in the House and Senate, so they'll be able to, you know, tear apart the, the qualifications and attack the record of this person who wants to be a justice on the Supreme Court. Whereas if you had one party rule, then you have the tyranny of the majority that ruins the ability of, of the unrepresented party in Congress in the and uh, in Congress to to examine whether this person would be a good justice. So do, do either of these arguments make any sense? No, but Mitch McConnell could make one of them and the Democrats could make the other. All right, they're so just going to do it. Let's sort through it, though. Do we think that his approach is, is essentially what McConnell is saying? With unanimity between the president and the Senate, it's kind of a no-brainer. Of course, the president should appoint in that circumstance. Is that what we think that he's trying to say? No. I mean, well, that might be what he's trying to say, but but I, I the decision makers are of one mind, so let's do this thing. Maybe, right? Maybe that's what he's trying. But to that's argue. gibberish. Then why even have a process? <laughs> we have a process because people are always going to be of multiple minds and have reservations. It's not like every justice appointed by a Republican should be approved by every Republican in the Senate. It, it, so they're going to have reservations and complaints. Let's get to practicalities here. Sure. I think that if President Trump tried to replace a Justice Ginsburg who in the next week says, I've got to resign because of my health, I think it would backfire on him and make it even more likely that the Democrats would take over the Senate because right. people would generally perceive that there's a little bit of hypocrisy going on here with Mitch McConnell. They're trying to, to steal a Senate seat. And, you know, he didn't believe in this uh, before, and yet he does now with no good reason. And the senators who were kind of on the fence, you know, the, the Markowskis of Alaska and the Susan Collinses of Maine, and of course Mitt Romney's not going to do the president any favors. I think, especially if some of those folks are up for a re-election, they would be very reluctant to go along with with replacing Ginsburg. And the Republicans can only lose, what, like two or else, boom, right. they, they can't do it. So I think as a practical matter, they wouldn't be able to muster the votes. And even the act of trying would probably backfire against Trump. And, you know, I mean, the odds are Trump's going to lose. And if the Senate goes over to the Democrats, then we're talking about a rerun of 2008 I mean, where the Democrats controlled everything, Katie bar the door. I, I can't. I actually horrifyingly should I say Karen bar the door? Yeah, that's good. I, horrifyingly, I actually see that it might kind of go the other way because I think Trump's base is so obsessed with winning. They treat politics uh, as many well, people Mark do. On, Ruffalo doesn't want to win, right, Connor. As many people on both sides do, they treat politics like a sport, and they've got their team, and they root for their team, and they weigh their pennant, and all they care about is feeling like the winners. Because politics doesn't really affect them. They're coming from a place of enormous privilege and power and in society. And no matter what happens in society, uh, they're kind of Teflon, right? That's the problem with politics is that there are so many people who are Teflon and don't care about you know, the actual outcome, all they get, all they care about is owning the libs, right? They just care about trolling. They just care about 
acting superior and smarter and better. And they the expression that you can latch on. The reason that you want, you know, I want the 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 Dodgers to win or the Angels to win because they're my team is because then I get to steal and ride that glory and hold on to their coattails. Mm-hmm. And when they see Trump win, they feel good because they own the libs. And guess what? They don't care about hypocrisy. They don't care about the accusations uh, against uh, Trump for sexual misconduct because he trots out women that Bill Clinton assaulted and makes Bill Clinton the poster boy for all Democratic candidates ever, including Hillary Clinton. And it doesn't they don't care. They just have a, a narrative they can latch onto, And Couldn't thus they you say win. that folks on the left didn't really care about those accusations against Joe Biden about what he did to that uh, lady staffer and all of course, those years ago. And of course, we are. Talking about yes, there, 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 there is a situation on on both sides where people act like their political party is a sports team. But we're here, we're we're asking, talking about whether Donald Trump's supporters care about hypocrisy, and we, he absolutely, they absolutely do not. They in fact revel in it because the idea that that I'm being hypo, uh, hypocritical, but I win anyway, they, they is bathe just in like, it like Uncle Scrooge and his money band. Yeah, exactly. It's up. just like uh. uh Patriots fans, New England Patriots fans, reveling in the fact that their quarterback cheated by deflating uh, the football uh, so that it's easier to catch. This this is a situation where they don't care, really. They just want to back a winner. And guess what? If Trump is able to, and Trump and Mitch McConnell are able to shut down uh, Obama from putting somebody on the Supreme Court and then turn around and do exactly the same thing, that would be like a massive you know, win because we own the libs. And that's the problem is trying to own the libs. The question is whether it would work because it's possible that trying to own the libs and failing is a death blow and actually hurts his chances. But trying to own the libs and succeeding would actually help him. So if he tried and succeeded to put a conservative on the court under these hypocritical circumstances, I think his his, his uh, uh, supporters would love him to death. But if he tried and failed, it's possible they would go, ooh, he's got the stink of loser on him. Stink of <laughs> But speaking of social— All that matters is winning! Speaking of social reform, by the way, I don't know if you heard the big news story, that finally, after all the controversy in the years, the Washington Redskins team yes. has officially changed their name. They're no longer going to be the Washington Redskins, just going to be the, the Redskins, because the, the corruption and the graft associated with Washington just caused them to— mm-hmm. Really the fact that they changed their name to a temporary placeholder name is <laughs> yes, hilarious. Like, was come funny. on, guys. They're the Washington football team now. Okay. How about it's you generic, just- generic. It's plain rap, okay? Just frickin' pick something. You're sitting at home, working from home over there. There's no football happening. What else have you got to do except come up with a good name for the Washington football team? There's a bunch of animals. Pick one. The, the, the Seattle NHL expansion team is called the Seattle Kraken. That's rad How and unobjectionable because wa- it's a mythical creature. How about the Washington Hedgehogs? Love it. They're prickly. Wouldn't want to tackle me. So uh, next week we are going to talk about uh, the dropping of the atomic bomb and um, the 75th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And we are going to talk uh, about the fact that some scientists, including Enrico Fermi, who placed a bet on this uh, when he was there at the Alamogordo test site, some scientists felt that when this first ever in human history event of exploding, detonating this nuclear bomb would, would actually ignite the atmosphere instantly killing everything and everybody on earth well it would take it would take several hours for the flames to spread around the whole planet so there's a lot of time for screaming running around before you catch on fire i don't know if you, it would take several hours we, we're gonna have to do the math on that that's true we'll, f- we'll focus on that next week uh <laughs> thank you for listening folks uh, this has been uh, too many lawyers have a great week